0: Chapter 48 Nobody had ever happened to tell Stella which room was Theo's, but somehow she knew just where in Hydrangea Corridor it was. She found his room, number 74, almost without conscious thought. It seemed that one moment she was sitting beside Thelma in Corridor Park, and the next she was facing Theo's closed door. The walls of Hydrangea Corridor stood sponge-dabbed white and blue from floor to ceiling, the same pale blue as his favorite cardigan and the same blue as his eyes. Stella touched the family photographs taped to his door, although she was too worried to focus properly, and her eyes couldn't make out the individual figures pictured there. He was in his room surely where else would he be nowhere else he would be in his room tired out after a last night's walk she didn't knock she opened the door slowly so as not to wake him if he was asleep she stepped inside room 74 of hydrangea corridor was laid out much the same as her own bed nightstand, chest of drawers. Like Stella, Theo did not appear to have a television. As in Stella's room, the door to the washroom was to the left of the door to the corridor. He would be in his washroom, she thought. She would not call out to him. She wouldn't hurry him. She would wait. She stood near the door, thinking. A man's room smells like his hair. She'd forgotten that about Min. It was a smell somewhere between soap and skin. Her lodger's room had been the same. She shivered at the memory of that younger man, of a love which had no place here, and pushed all thought of her lodger aside and away. She heard no sound from inside Theo's washroom, no splash from the sink, no hiss from the taps or the toilet. She held out hope for several minutes before she gave in and had admitted to herself that Theo wasn't in the washroom after all. She turned to leave his room to look elsewhere, but then stopped in her tracks. She knew what she had to do. With slow steps, she moved to the closet next to his dresser. She was not intruding out of curiosity, she told herself. I'm his friend. I need to know. She opened the closet door. Inside, where she feared to find an empty clothes rail and all his things gone, she saw his cardigans hanging, buttoned up to the neck. Beside them, well-ordered, his trousers and shirts. On the floor, beneath these, four pairs of lace-up shoes were arranged in a row, along with the sort of slippers that Stella associated with men's striped pajamas. She closed the closet door she didn't need to see inside his dresser drawers. She would not take the time, having reassured herself that he still occupied his room in Hydrangea Corridor, she ought to have felt a lightning of her heart. But she did not. Chapter 49 Without any better idea of how to locate Theo, Stella decided to look for him by roaming the way he liked to roam, up and down the corridors. She was glad of the lace-up shoes Mad Cassandra had given her not long before and blessed her again for the gift throughout Fairmount's corridors blue hydrangea, orange painted chrysanthemum, pink carnation, soft lavender and a long dreamy green fern where the Greek chorus lived. It occurred to her as she marched and ticked off the colours to herself that Theo might be walking at odds with her. He could be just behind her or a little ways ahead. Having turned a corner without knowing she was near, perhaps she was paying for the perfect synchronicity they had enjoyed among the cherry blossoms the evening before with a disharmony that would last exactly as long as their time together. If that was the case, the universe would realign itself by late afternoon, and she might see him at supper. She soldiered on through the corridors until she found herself, for the third time, at Fairmont's front door. The chairs in the little foyer near the door were empty, and outside the door no cars were pulled up to the walk. There was just the box hedge leading outwards from the door, the arching black-topped drive, and the swath of green lawn edged with dying daffodils. Above, the sky was grey and cool in aspect. She had looked out so often, standing here before the glass door, and never before had she seen much further than the box hedge. But now, after last night's walk, she had the strangest feeling of power to see what lay beyond the door. She didn't move outside. How could she, without remembering the door keypad code? She could not. But now, in fantasy, it seemed to her that she rose upwards out of her spot inside the door. There was no sensation of flying or floating, nothing so fanciful as that. Without willing it, and without fighting it, she simply rose upwards, through the ceiling, through the roof, up into the air above Fairmont. And there she slowed in her ascent, The better to search for Theo. From this vantage she looked down at Fairmount Manor's roof, its arching driveway and fringe of daffodils. Then, still rising, she saw the length of Fairmount Road where it cut one block from the next. Two streets spanned the neighborhood below her. Four sidewalks were limbed with Frilly pink and white blossoming trees, the cherry trees she and Theo had walked beneath the night before. There stood the same houses, almost as neatly seated as a row of pansies when viewed from above. She rose and rose again, unafraid but awed by the scale of the world outside Fairmount Manor. She rose, and as she did, she stared everywhere among the shops, in the schoolyards, her eyes tracing the long grey ribbons of the sidewalks. But she didn't see Theo at all. All in one heartbeat she came back to the earth. It quite took the breath out of her. She stood and stared through the glass, one hand on the keypad, one hand on the door, to steady herself. I'm sorry, a voice spoke behind her, the warden's voice. I really can't give you the key code exit number, Mrs. Ryman. Stella removed her hand from the glass. She turned and faced Mrs. Perdetta Warren. The director of Fairmount Manor stood at the place where the corridor intersected the front hall. Mrs. Warren shook her head. I'm very sorry indeed to have to keep you in. I can't expect you to understand. It must be very frustrating for you. Over the urgent pounding of her heart, Stella said, but I do understand. She blinked back tears. You can't give me the number because you're worried I'll get lost. Yes, Mrs. Warren looked taken aback. You're worried I'll wander away and you won't be able to find me, Stella said. That's right. I'm so glad you see it that way. Sometimes I think you look on this place as some kind of Jail, the warden said. She and the warden stared each other down. As they did so, Stella became aware of an anomaly in the periphery of her vision. Dropping her gaze, she glanced at the younger woman's shoes. Mrs. Perdetta Warren must have dressed in a hurry in the dark. The warden turned and walked away, one foot after the other. In their odd shoes one blue and one black there was one more place to visit but to do so stella had to break a terrible oath for rebellious and even cynical reasons she had sworn never to set foot in the activities hall she had pledged this oath to herself alone and since then has spent her days with the greek chorus and Hugh in corridor park she had mentioned her oath to nobody but now she knew that if she was to call herself any sort of hero or even any sort of an amateur sleuth she must break her oath in order to search out theo chapter 50. stella was always getting lost in fairmount's extensive and confusing corridors. However, if only because she avoided the place with such determination, she knew that the activities hall lay somewhere in the unpainted wallboard desert between the stairs up to Palliotov and Special Care and the Director's Office. She trod as swiftly as she was able in that direction, losing and refinding her way again with as little delay in backtracking as possible, for the lunch tone would sound quite soon. She used Alice's trick from Wonderland, closing her eyes and walking with one hand on the wall to keep her steady. Moments later, she found herself approaching the open double doors to the activities hall. "'What is hell?' Stella had for the last few months been disturbingly unable to remember whether it was time for lunch or dinner, but now she stood in the door of the activities hall quoting Jean-Paul Sartre to herself. Hell is other people, she said aloud, but she didn't really believe that hell was other people. Probably Sartre hadn't believed hell was other people either, but only affected to once he had written it, how would it be? She mused, to have said something clever and nasty, and that was what people remembered you for. What would that feel like? Stella stepped inside Activities Hall. A second later, as she had been standing behind, as if he had been standing behind the door awaiting her, Ollie appeared, blocking her view of the room with his height and breadth of shoulder. He put his hands on his hips and viewed her with obvious delight. Stella Cinderella, it's about time you came to the ball. Stella said, Hello Ollie, I'm just here for half a moment. Ollie said, Nonsense! What else have you got to do aside from making my day just by showing up? Stella Bestseller, My Favorite Fairmount Resident. Stella couldn't hide her smile. I'll bet you say that to all of us. Anyway, I hope you do. I don't. Ollie's gaze sharpened for a moment. You think I say so to Mrs. Macandrew? The dragon? The nickname slipped out before Stella could stop it. Heavens, I can't imagine it. But what about Theo? By the way, is he here today? Ollie turned around, and Stella took two steps into the activity hall. As conscious of the open door at her back as any spy in a Fleming novel, she strained to see whether Theo was among those within. In the far right corner, a group of residents milled about, preparing, Stella deducted from the peppy music overhead, for healthy movement class. These were women in the main, but also the usual scattering of shiny-pated male residents. None of them was Theo. She looked to the opposite corner, where a small group gathered around a television showing a Bob Vila home improvement video. Bob Vila had always been one of Stella's favorite television figures, and 20 years before, Vila had inspired her to buy a set of tools and lumber and knock together a barbecue area in her backyard. Now, Vila was demonstrating how to strip paint from antique lattice windows, but Theo was not among those entranced by the carpentry possibilities. Nearby, a threesome gathered about a bridge table. With a shock, Stella recognized Isleth, Lucille, and the nodder, who faced an empty fourth chair. Stella herself had purposely never learned to play bridge in the way some people refused to learn French, but she admired the way Lucille was shuffling the deck with a professional whiffle, arc, and snap. If the three members of the Greek chorus had noticed Stella gaping at them, they affected a busy nonchalance as Eilanth passed the deck to Lucille, who dealt with a neat flick of the wrist. Ollie said, I don't see, Theo, do you? No, Stella's heart knocked hard. What now? I'll be going not so fast my best girl come along and play cards make friends become addicted to the perilous game of bridge he took stella firmly by the arm and led her to the bridge table the greek chorus looked up ollie said i see you need a fourth so sorry but it's taken isolith studied her cards who buy ollie asked oh sally doesn't kiss and tell Lucille said. He's often late. We don't mind, do we, Sally? Stella perked up. He? The nodder stared at her cards. Stella said, It's the strangest thing. But after a lifetime of not playing, I do know what trumps means. She gazed down at the fourth chair. The otter scowled. Stella said, Ollie, I really don't know a thing about bridge. Learn! He pulled the empty chair out and bowed good naturedly. Theo could show up at any moment, Ollie added. No, I've looked in every corridor rose corridor, chrysanthemum, fern. Stella took a step fr- away from the bridge game the nodder's dark gaze shadowing each step. Before Stella could reach the door, Ollie barred the way. He stretched out his hands in supplication. Please, stay and do activities for me, Stella, my Bella. Let me feel like I've made the world a better place. Out of the chair in the hallway into this world of friendly activity. In a few minutes... You can do healthy movements with the group over there, if you'd rather. I'm going to join in myself, he patted his middle. Do it with me, and come back tomorrow, because there's a trip to the shopping mall. What do you say? What do you say? How should she tell him? Answer 1. Ollie, what is hell? Hell is participation without pleasure or purpose. Hell... Is riding the bus to the shopping mall when i have no space in my room for purchases when i've already divested myself of everything that won't fit into the 10 by 15 foot space that is my room here just exactly big enough to swing a cat if they allowed cats hell is pain of course dizziness and not remembering how i arrived at fairmount manor in the first place it is having no idea where to find the room I've lived in for three months and being told it is no disgrace to ask. It is being addressed as dear by some of the nameless care workers in a sort of reverse professionalism and watching daytime television in the activities hall. No. Uh, what about answer two? Ollie? Jean-Paul Chartre was wrong about hell. Hell is not other people. Hell is different for other people. She cast about for a third option. Ollie, I really need to use the little girl's room. Ollie let loose a loud, long sigh. Are you sure you don't play bridge? The Little girl's room is a trump card if I ever saw it. I'm warning you, though. I'll keep up the campaign to get you back into the activities hall. Dear Ollie, I'll look forward to seeing you try. And Stella softened her words with a smile, turned, and walked away. Theo was not there, and that meant she must take direct and even more distasteful action. Chapter 51. Stella made her way toward the warden's office. She determined to ask Mrs. Warren straight out for Theo's whereabouts. Until this moment, she had been set on tracking him herself. But lunch was over, with nary a sign of him. Pride must not be ashamed to bow to friendship. Jaw set, she approached the warden's secretary's desk. It was empty as it had been for weeks since the previous secretary had left stella identified this now that she was looking for it as another fairmount manor austerity measure along with the cheap new dining room furnishings but that was a worry for a different moment stella stepped up to the warden's office before she could knock the door opened in her face And Reliza emerged, moving quickly. As the young care worker approached, Stella saw no softening of the eye, no sympathetic tilt of her shining head. Reliza, so full of love, the one of all the staff who had sat with Stella while she thought she was dying upstairs, brushed by her and then turned back to face someone inside the director's office. Reliza was saying softly, And I never will. She turned on her heel and left the office. Stella stared after her. She had never imagined that Reliza could behave so rudely. However, the greater revelation was still to come, for Stella discovered the source of Reliza's coldness. Dr. Terry stood in the doorway of the director's office, blinking handsomely in a grey suit. Both fists were thrust deep inside his pockets. His sunny yellow tie hung below a gloomy gaze. To Stella he said, Go on in, Mrs. Ryman. You can wait for Mrs. Warren inside. I'm sure that will be all right. He wandered off, and Stella frowning after him, moved into the director's office. Reliza had said, And I never will. Never will what? There were so many things that a girl like Reliza would never do, but if Stella was any judge of character, the doctor would never in a million years suggest she do them. Brooding, Stella stood waiting for the warden beside the director's untidy desk. Without meaning to, she began reading the items strewn about on top. All the folders looked similar with their buff covers. The only difference among them was the way they were labeled, one with the title, Expense Claims, two called Menu Plans. She saw timetables heaped upon staffing schedules and there was a folder reading Doctor's reports. She flipped that folder open. The first thing she saw at the top of the page was Theo's name. She dropped it like a hot pan and lost sight of it among the scattered papers on the warden's desk. There was no time to go through them. It would be just like the warden to walk in while Stella wanted nothing but privacy to go through these administrative lists and ledgers of which not one was meant for a resident's perusal. She only wanted Theo's doctor's report. But the hell with it. She was not about to give the warden another opportunity to catch her breaking the rules. She gathered up the mass of papers from the desk and made for the office door. (laughs) Chapter 52 Stella traveled the long way round through the corridors towards her own room 34. Her arms were full of papers that she had gathered up willy-nilly from the warden's desk. Menus, ledger pagers, Theo's doctor's report all jumbled up together. She held the papers to her chest in the way that a person holds hope there. Somebody in authority would see her sooner or later. Ollie with his trolley, or Cheryl with her enigmatic smile. They would catch her with her arms full of the director's papers. She could not, after all, take the papers to her own room, for she did not fancy the thought of somebody, Mrs. Perdita Warren herself, perhaps, banging through the unlocked door to room 34 and finding Stella, as had happened in the recent poison-pen affair, in flagrant she didn't think her system could tolerate another surprise attack like the one that had so recently revealed her to the warden holding a sheaf of pilfered letters in her lap. No, Stella needed to sit down and be alone with her agitated heart and clouded sight. The ideal place for this would have been at her own kitchen table in her own house. She would sit in the captain's chair where she marked her students' papers, drank her tea, and read thousands of books. But the chair was gone. The Sally Ann had been delighted to take it, and she had sold her home months ago. Now, somebody else had the option of sitting reading by the kitchen window with the curling wisteria tendrils just outside casting dancing shadows on the page. So Stella, who had no desire at that particular moment in time to bend at the knees and get down on all fours, found herself bereft of all other options. As quickly as she could, she made her way to Daffodil Corridor and sidled into the storage room across from the staff room. There stood the art table with its floor-length green plastic tablecloth. She dropped the papers she had taken from the director's desk onto the floor with help from the tablecloth she almost dragged the tablecloth onto the floor and had to straighten it again she got herself down onto hands and knees pushing the papers ahead of her she followed them under the table not since her early morning ramble through the halls when mad cassandra had led her to the treasures of past residence in the effects closet had stella felt so stiff elderly and sore she shifted herself around trying to bend her legs the way she had the last time she'd crawled under the table but her knees no longer wanted to fold that way she couldn't sit sideways and still use the back to and still use the wall to support her back She couldn't put her legs out in front of her or her shoes would be visible to all who passed the open door of the storage closet, protruding from under the tablecloth like the striped stocking feet of the Wicked Witch of the East. In the end, the best she could manage was to bend her knees in front of her. This was by no means an ideal position, and she felt confined by her own physicality. Take heart, Stella told herself. At least you're alone with your own physicality. Blessedly, thankfully, solitary. She flipped through the folders and loose pages in her lap, looking for the doctor's report. She noted some strange and possibly untrue notes on the menu and stuffing papers, but how could she care about costs and dates of purchases and remuneration for numbers of staff working days. Placing her hand flat on the manila folder that held Theo's doctor's report, she took several deep breaths. She squeezed her eyes shut and then opened them hard, focusing them on the cover of the folder. At last, she adjusted the angle of her glasses on her nose, opened the folder and began to read. Mr. Theo Longbourn, age 88, room 74. And short biography, which surprised her for several reasons, not least because she had no idea that anybody in power at Fairmount cared a jot what residents had been in their real lives before they came here. Before she could read further, soft patrine footsteps sounded so nearby that They had to be inside the storage room. A rustle of plastic followed. Despite her security and her solitude, Stella was somehow not surprised when the table rattled on its legs, the tablecloth billowed and lifted, and mad Cassandra scrambled inside Stella's private green cave. Well met, Cassandra said. Her tone was light, but as she settled herself into the narrow space on Stella's right hand, there was a pale cast to her features that struck Stella as worrying. Mind you, the light that filtered through the green plastic tablecloth would make the healthiest, happiest woman in the world look like a disappointed corpse. Angling her head away from mad Cassandra's Unique and wondrous halitosis. Stella tapped the doctor's report. It says in here that Theo was a teacher. I didn't know that, did you? Cassandra shrugged. Sure, I was a teacher too, she frowned and then added. Or was that you, Stella? I was, Stella agreed. I mostly ran a school library and taught science and language arts i ran a library too cassandra answered she frowned again or a flower shop maybe like eliza doolittle wanted to own yes all i want is a room somewhere stella's brain hummed with one enormous chair she bumped her head on the underside of the table and gave it a quick rub with one hand dr terry's patient history is quite interesting Theo rode for the university in his young days, it says here. I've only begun page one. The bad news is always on the last page of a doctor's report, Cassandra said. I never look at mine. Just as well, Stella wanted to say. However, now that Cassandra was here, she knew that it would be much easier to read the last page of Theo's report with a friend. A sort of friend, anyway. To talk it over with. "'What's to be done?' Cassandra asked suddenly. "'I know there was something, something vital.' "'Stella blinked down at the report, "'trying to make out the words that had been clear a moment before. "'She was by now so worried about Theo "'that her eyesight had failed her again "'with the infuriating swimming sensation that she got lately "'when she, a lifelong reader, "'tried to read anything well overcome with sorrow.' or fear. Stella handed Cassandra the folder. Read me the last page. Cassandra took the folder from her, but didn't read it. Oh, good heavens above, Stella. I've just remembered something urgent. I need you to come with me. Cassie, please. You must tell me whether Theo is all right. Mad Cassandra huffed, held up the doctor's report and appeared to take in the page with one glass. Theo Longbourn went outside without permission, and he was hit by a car but not killed. Stella gaped. Are you sure? Is he conscious? Does it say for certain that he's safe? Are any of us? Look, I've read your stupid paper. Cassandra dropped the folder onto the floor, used her knobby bare toes to push the folder under the table. Stella just about at the end of her rope, with worry for Theo, pulled herself free and was about to tell Cassandra, crazy or not, a thing or two, when she saw the tears in the other woman's eyes. It's important. Please come. You're needed, Stella. Stella had seen mad Cassandra laughing, furious, incoherent, but she had never before seen her in such distress as this. She allowed Cassandra to take hold of her arm in a pincher grasp, hurrying them up out of the storage room and into Daffodil Corridor. She opened the door opposite Stella's and the two women passed through into Mrs. McAndrew's room. Stella stood at Mad Cassandra's side by the grand Macandrew mahogany bed. Mrs. Macandrew, the dragon, lay quite still, her head on a cutwork pillow, her silk brochet coverlet pulled up to her chin.